Welcome to episode 481 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam, I am all by myself today. Uh, and this is a really, really important conversation that takes place on today's episode. I did an interview with best-selling author Bill Koenigsberg about his new novel that just came out called The Bridge. Uh, Bill is extraordinarily well-known for his award-winning titles, um, The Porcupine of Truth, Openly Straight, Out of the Pocket, The Music of What Happens. Um, he has won you know, numerous awards, uh, Lambda Literary Award, he won the Elizabeth Walden Award, um, the Sid Fleischman Award for Humor. There's a lot of really, really important stuff that he has talked about in his past about the LGBTQ community. Um, he has won a Stonewall Book Award. Like all of these books that he's written in the past are really, really important and discuss the LGBTQ plus uh, experience. Uh, he wrote this book uh, as a way because he had thought that he had kind of said all he needed to say about that. And so he wanted to take on something else. The Bridge, his new book, is all about two teenagers who um, are contemplating committing suicide and what happens when one or the other does uh, and if they, and we get into it. Uh, the book is, it's so important and it's so poignant and it's so well done, um, but I do want to give an obvious trigger warning that, you know, this conversation and the book itself is about teenage suicide uh, and mental health and, um, you know, how to deal with those types of things. I, I, we're doing this now, um, A, because the book just came out this month and it's phenomenal, but also because September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Uh, so this is just a way to help raise awareness to the fact that we can all prevent suicide. You know, each year, uh, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline and other mental health organizations and individuals across the U.S. and around the world are constantly raising awareness for suicide prevention during September. Um, it, it's not just something that should take place in September, but it's something that we're highlighting during September. Uh, mental health advocates and organizations are talking about the importance of having conversations with people who, um, whether you feel that you are having some issues mentally or maybe you have a friend or a family member is, you know, in 2020, this is a year where a lot of people are feeling down for various reasons. And so there are, uh, you know, there's ways to have those conversations. So just want to put all that out there at the very front. Um, if you are feeling suicidal or think that someone in your life might be, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. This book is handled with such care and such um, attention to detail for not only how suicide affects the people who are attempting suicide or commit suicide, but everyone in their lives um, and it shows the, the implications of the actions that we all take. Um, and, you know, Bill recently had a really wonderful quote that you know, we don't talk about here in the, the conversation, but I want to make it known here. And he said, you never know what's going to happen in life on a particular day, but you have to be there to find out. Um, you know, your life matters and it's important. And, you know, even if you feel really, really down, you know, there's always a way to get better. So I hope this conversation is really helpful. But again, of course, trigger warnings for suicide attempts and suicide uh, conversations. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. If you want to get a hold of us here, you can always reach out to us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. That's our email address. You can go to professionalbooknerds.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram 
at Pro Book Nerds. Uh, I want to thank Scholastic and Bill for taking some time to have this conversation. And please, 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 uh, this is a very important conversation, but the book itself ends on a hopeful note, which we talk about. So I please read this book, you know, whether you are feeling suicidal or not, uh, whether you're a parent or a teenager or a teacher, uh, look at this book. It's extremely important and I think it can help out a lot of people. Okay. Uh, I'm going to not delay any longer. I'm going to let you get to this conversation with Bill Konigsberg, author of The Bridge on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I guess I started the recording just so that I don't miss any good tidbits of things. So sure, I guess, sure. the for, honestly, like the first question, well, I'll, I'll start by letting you kind of introduce listeners to the book and we can go from there. Sure. Um, so The Bridge is my sixth young adult novel. And it is uh, a departure for me, uh, the big departure for me. Uh, basically, it is about uh, a boy and a girl, both 17, Aaron and Tilly, who meet atop the George Washington Bridge in New York City. They are both there to jump and they interrupt each other. Uh, at that moment, as they are both facing each other about 100 feet apart, one leg each over the ledge, uh, the world splits into four different realities. And so I tell each of the four stories of the possibilities of what might happen. So in the first one, Tilly jumps, but Aaron doesn't. After that story, Aaron jumps in the second one, but Tilly doesn't. In the third, uh, they both jump. And in the fourth, uh, neither jumps and we get to move, uh, we get to see the incredible connection that is made when both of these characters decide to stick around. So. so yeah. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Not I, at all, yeah. I know that many authors get the what inspired you to write this type of a question, mm -hmm. but I, what made you want to approach the topic of teenage suicide? Because like you said, it, it is very different from the other stories that you've written over the years. Yeah, well, I, I mean, for one thing, I think it was time for me to move on. You, you know, I had said in my first five novels quite a, quite a lot about the LGBTQ experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, and while that's a big part of me, it's not the only thing. Uh, and I felt like it was time to explore more. Uh, and unfortunately, chronic depression has been a big part of my life. You know, so I think that was probably got, what got me leaning in that direction. But I think at, at the moment when I started writing this book, there was this epidemic of suicide uh, going on where I live in Arizona, everywhere across the country, mm -hmm. country and world as well. Uh, and among people I know and love. And uh, what I really wanted to do was create a book that would be a good conversation starter for discussions, real discussions about mental health, because I immediately think of 13 Reasons Why, which I like as a book and I liked as a TV show, but I think is absolutely a poor example of, of something that's good to get people really talking openly and honestly about mental health. 
Well, and is that, you kind of touched on it, but is that why you wanted to show every possible scenario to kind of give people a more realistic understanding of how these things can affect yeah. everyone in your life? Absolutely. I mean, I think that was really the only way to make the point that I wanted to make, which is that, you know, for those of us who have struggled with suicidal ideation, when I'm depressed, my brain lies to me. And my mm -hmm. brain tells me that uh, the world would be better if I weren't here. And that's a lie. And it's a lie for all of us. So what I wanted to do was show every possible scenario to show just how much every life really I hate to say, I can't say all lives matter. That's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know how much life does matter mm -hmm. uh, and, and all of the people impacted. So uh, yeah, that was the reason. Yeah. Well, and I also, I, I think the way that you present it with having Aaron and Tilly see each other right at the beginning, especially the first two stories where one jumps and the other doesn't, I think what it, you know, they have this, almost immediate reaction of like, oh my God, I almost did that too. And mm -hmm. what, not really like, what was I thinking? Because they do both struggle with mental health in different ways, which what we can touch on in a little bit, but it is, it's almost like they realize in real time, like, oh, wow, that was, that's not what I wanted to do at all. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like seeing it, not only are you, are they seeing it as someone else, does it but as a reader you're seeing it in multiple different ways and i think that really will end up helping yes. you know, people who are suicidal or just depressed to realize like oh these are all the aspects of this that i may not be able to see i i think i mean that's my real hope and you know well i i don't know if i'll ever know but my my hope and prayer here is that i uh you know this book gets to in front of one person mm -hmm. uh who who thinks their life isn't worth living so that they can just have one moment to think, well, there are some possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, this is, you know, there, what I love about this is despite it being very sad and very emotional and obviously given the topic, I, what I really like about it is when there's things that make you feel hopeful, they make you feel extremely hopeful. Like, oh, so yeah. the, the first story Tilly jumps and so you see everything that happens around her that she is no longer a part of like her little sister and all these different things and it, it is heartbreaking to think about but then in the second version when she does not jump she goes back and she interacts with her younger sister and like it's almost like more hopeful and joyous because you know that there could have been another way I, I so when you were crafting this how did you go about I can't imagine you wrote it linearly because it's not really a linear book. I guess how, how did you go about putting these together, like these relationships and how they change from scenario to scenario? Well, the, the, the funny thing is that I actually did write it linearly. Really? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying and, and what you're really saying is it would be a mess to read linearly. And it, and it was, uh, you know, I wrote it. So it was like in story one, here's chapter one in story mm -hmm. two, here's chapter one. And the problem, of course, is keeping track of all of this cast of characters is impossible. But it really was a great way to write it. Uh, I didn't know how I wanted the book to be put out there. I just knew that I wanted to experience, let's say the date was September 15th mm -hmm. uh, of whatever year. I wanted to experience that in each of the possible alternative universes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how it kind of built up for me. 
So was there a research process for this? Because they're, you know, how they deal with mental health is so different and the, the different types of things that they're going through are so different. I, I imagine there had to be a lot that went into this. I'm also imagining like you had to spend a year just not smiling once, like going through <laughs> all of this. <laughs> it was not the most pleasant book to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was dark, but uh, yeah, I had to do some research. I mean, I, I, w- I will say that the depressive aspect of it didn't need as much uh, because I, I lived Really, I, I lived Aaron's story in some ways, not exactly, mm-hmm. uh, but his le- type of chronic depression very much models or mirrors my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tilly's, what I, I always say it like this, like Aaron is chemically depressed mm-hmm. uh, and Tilly is situationally depressed. And I know what that's like too, in a way, because we've all had things happen to us that make us feel a certain way. I didn't need that much help with that, but what I did need was um, uh, when, and spoiler alert, when Aaron goes into his little hypomanic phase, which is what happens when he takes his medicine, I I really did need some help. So I spoke to people about that. Uh, This is a book also that goes into other perspectives. And I don't, even though I'm the age of a parent, I don't know what it's like to be a parent of somebody who dies by suicide. So mm-hmm. I spoke to many grief counselors about that. Uh, I really had to kind of pour myself into it because it's a lot of different chairs to sit in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I'm writing from a lot of different points of view. So there was a fair amount of research. Well, and the thing that when Aaron does kind of, like you said, he goes in this like manic, it's very, it's almost like being bipolar in the sense where he's like, he's very, very down and then he starts taking this medicine and it affects him a certain way where he gets extremely like, I'm on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And then he can, you know, considers jumping off the bridge again. And it's like, it really made me think about the fact when, you know, people always say, well, I didn't, I never thought so-and-so would commit suicide. And people see when someone else says that and they, they kind of view those people that are still alive almost negatively, like, well, how did you not know? And I think it really does show a realistic example of someone can be manic or bipolar and happy having what looks like a really great day. And like, you could have no idea that that is something that's wrong with them. And I don't know. It's just, I really love how you didn't just focus on what happens to those two. It's, yeah. it's understanding that other people can or cannot react a certain way, depending on how you react, you're, you're, acting in the moment well that that's part of what also that's part of what depression is that's so confusing mm-hmm. is that a person can be just fine in a moment and also depressed mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's really hard to understand it doesn't make sense because when i say to you i'm depressed i think you I, i'm going to guess you imagine a frowny face a sad <laughs> face crying uh but when I, I mean i've been depressed during this period uh, right. This six months has been rough on many, many people. I've been one of them. Um, and I've had laughing times in that. And, and that's really what I wanted to depict is that life can be funny and random and uh, all of these things during a depression. It's, it's so funny. You, me- like these, you mentioned, these, not, not funny, but accurate. You mentioned these past six months. I feel like when people read The Bridge, they will really relate with Tilly because of like the situational depression, because it is like, I don't think, I don't think that I'm manic. I definitely know that there are times when I can get very like, high 
off of like an event that we're doing for the podcast or going to, you know, like a wedding or things. And I do have that kind of like fall off afterwards, but not like off a cliff. But I did feel like I connected with Tilly in the sense that I, like you said, I find myself this past six months just being like, all right, well, it's another day. It's like, it is, it's, there's like this feeling of isolation, which is, it's, it's different because of this unique thing that we're going through that will be in history books, but it's not so unique in the sense that, you know, Tilly and Aaron are presenting ways that people can feel isolated even when they can interact with human beings, I suppose. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. Um, yeah. Uh, like you said that it's not one thing that I was so thankful that you did when I knew what the book was about. I was like, please end this the hopeful way that I hope you're going to end. Like, I feel it does. This isn't a spoiler, but the book does end on such a powerfully hopeful note. And I imagine that felt necessary, not just for readers, but for you as an author as well. Right. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I, I can speak about it as an author. It was important, but really uh, it was so important to me for readers uh, because this is a serious topic and, and really uh, I want there to be some hope for people who are struggling. And, and I know that when I'm struggling, uh, you know, uh, there is some, some benefit sometimes to reading something sad when I'm struggling because I can emote, mm-hmm. uh, but I really am craving something to take me out of the abyss. So yeah, that last story. I'll tell you that at first I had thought to write that is the third section and the fourth section being where they both jump and clearly that was a terrible idea it was like just a very quick idea mm-hmm. that i mixed <laughs> well and it reminded me of um there's a book that came out a while ago um this is where it ends by marika Niekamp, and it was actually she was that was the first book four years ago where we ever ever did an, an author interview she's the first person oh. they're the first person we ever interviewed and it was for this is where it ends and that book is all about a school shooting and it takes place over, I think 42 minutes in quote unquote real time during a school shooting. And much like the bridge, like it's so heavy and emotional, but it ends on a hopeful note. And I think that's such an important way to present topics like this for young adult readers who for the first time are feeling these huge emotions that maybe they can't understand or cope with. Just like, I do think, as long as you handle it with care and present it to these readers in a, a hopeful understanding way, like, I think it's important for young readers to have books like this available to them. I hope, I hope so too. I mean, I, I think that there is some value to, you know, books are a safe place to explore feelings, you know, and, and I do think that, I think that seeing a character go through something, a trauma, like you're just talking about, uh, with the school shooting or, you know, a character, a friend feeling depressed or themselves feeling really depressed. Uh, there's just so much value to exploring that and being able to close the book and say, okay, I'm not in a book anymore. So I'm in favor of that. What was, um, what do you think was the most challenging part of writing this? And then maybe what was the most rewarding part? It might be the same thing. I guess, you know, probably the most challenging was the most rewarding. And that is, you know, making the depression a visceral experience, like so, so that a, a reader, uh, my mother who does not give out comment, compliments very often <laughs> this book, she's a psychologist. And, and one, one thing she said that made me very happy is she said, 
this is a rare book where you can really feel what it feels like to be depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that is something I'm proud of. And it's also really challenging because in order to write that, I had to feel those feelings. And uh, I had quite a few plans in place as I was writing this, you know, contingency plans about how to, if I, if I started to feel depressed, what would I do? Mm -hmm. So, Were there characters that you had a more challenging time with than, than others? Oddly enough, uh, yes, there were. But oddly enough, on the opposite side of that, the character who I most easily wrote was Tilly. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, Aaron has so much in common with me, but Tilly just, the, the Tilly part of me who is sort of abrupt and direct, um, just, I, I didn't know where that came from, but the writing of that was really fun for me and good for me. Um, yeah, the, who was hard to write? They're all a little bit hard to write. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many voices that are different than mine. You know, yeah. uh, I think of Amir, uh, as a character, he, he's, oh, spoiler alert, he's gay and mm -hmm. I'm gay, so we have that in common, but our upbringings are so different. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was an interesting one to, to work with. So what about um, writing Aaron and Tilly's parents? Because this is something, and this is going to start with a compliment, which I always feel awkward complimenting authors directly to their face, well, via Zoom. But I feel like in YA books, especially it's almost like a trope where like the parents are just not there and because a lot of especially like adventure YA books a lot of the problems could be solved if you're just like just go tell dad tell and the problem will be solved but as the so usually it's almost like they're absent but with this particular topic I think it is so important to show the relationship that the parents have with your protagonist so how did you go about writing those characters like I imagine it had to they, they had to be such an integral part or else people would just say, well, why aren't the parents understanding this? Yeah, I, I think it was important to write them and to have them be part of the story. Uh, by the way, I, I'll get back to that. But one of the benefits of that is I think this is one of those like read with your parents or read with your kids books. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm really hoping for, because I think there, there's some communication to be had there. Mm -hmm. um, I... Now, I, this is what happens when you get a little older and you forget what you're going to say. Uh, <laughs> remind me again. So it was uh, I guess uh, the importance of the parents. Yeah. And, and how did you go about right. writing those relationships? Just because I think so often, especially like personally, I'm not a parent, but I'm a son. I, I, it would be hard for me, even in my own writing, to write from the perspective of someone with a teenage son. So how did you go about making those relationships exist because they are so essential to the story? You know, the answer is one at a time. You know, that, that the way that this works for me is that it's really hard as I start with the character because nothing feels authentic. And I just have to kind of sit with every character and get, it's like being an actor um, and taking on a role, but as an author, you have to take on 20 uh, roles or something. And so you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out what what is the bridge from my life to being a parent. Uh, one of the bridges is our age. So, so I felt like, you know, trying to understand what it would be like to be a father of somebody who, let's say, dies by suicide. Um, it's a big, it's a big trip to take. Uh, but I start with what I know. 
Uh, then I do the research, then I talk to the grief counselors. And, and for the mother, for instance, for Tilly's mother, uh, some of what Tilly's mom learns comes directly from my research when she's uh, talking to her grief, grief counselor. She needed to hear what I needed to hear, which is that you don't really get over losing a child from suicide. I didn't know that, uh, but it's like you rearrange your life around it. You know, yeah, so. it, like it's always, there's always going to be a hole there and it's just learning to right. not even like avoid the hole, but how to get over it, how to go get past it from day to day and how to understand that life's just mm -hmm. never going to be the same way. Right, for sure. Yeah. As you... Oh man, I almost just said, as you continue to get older, that would have been so mean. As, <laughs> as we, you and the collective we, get further and further away from our young adult versions of ourselves. There we go. I'll put myself in there as well. Um, how, you know, do you find it challenging to continue to write stories that connect with, because obviously young adult books are read by people of all ages, but the main, you know, the main characters are genuine, you know, generally teenagers, you know, do you find it challenging to continue to write stories that you feel will relate to young readers? And then how do you work to make sure that they are staying that way and relatable? It, it's a really good question. And, and absolutely. Uh, I am going to turn 50 in two months. And when I started writing young adult, I was 32. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference from 15 years away from my character to 33 years away. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that some of it is it's more work now. Like I, I, I can't just rely on my own experience because I have to do some, uh, some mathematics to figure out my experience plus current time. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> uh, nothing, things don't change about the teenage experience from an internal perspective, but they really change from an external perspective. So it, I think it's very, very challenging. And I'll tell you, my next book takes place in 1987 for the exact reason that I want to circumvent that. Uh, I just wanted to write something I knew. So that's yeah. You know what? Afterwards, like I don't want to worry about Snapchat or TikTok or any uh, of those things. I actually. Yeah. That makes me laugh. There was um, actually just today, maybe it was last night, they released like a PSA about wearing masks with Paul Rudd. I don't know if you had a chance to see that yet. No. It's If you get a chance, New York, I think it might have been Governor Cuomo. Somebody released it and it's basically like Paul Rudd comes on and the joke being that Paul Rudd, everyone thinks he's still very young because of how young he looks. And like, it opens up with him being like, greetings, fellow millennials. We should all be wearing masks. And, and, here's, and just like maintaining that way to connect with young people. I, but exactly what you said, I think is right. You know, our, no matter when you were 15, 16, 17, you experience a heartbreak for the first time or a true love for the first time or some sort of emotion that no matter how, at what point in time it is, that particular feeling is something that everyone can relate to because we all have experienced those big emotions for the first time. Yeah, just set all your books at a time when you're comfortable with it. I think that's right. It. Just move it back, and uh, suddenly 1987 is historical fiction, and I think that's hilarious. Yeah, but it kind of is. So. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I suppose that's true. It was the year 
after I was born. So I, you know, there you go. go. Make make you feel even older. I'm really doing a great job with this. <laughs> Are you the type of person who uh, my co-host and I joked for a while at the beginning of quarantine? She would read books that really like leaned in. So she would read like Station Eleven and other pandemic type books. But like I would avoid those as much as I possibly could. I was reading happy, you know, as happy as I could find. You know, what types of books have you been reading during quarantine here? You know, a little bit of both, uh, but I, I will admit I'm probably more like you. Uh, I read The Extraordinaries by T.J. Klune, which is a gay superhero book, mm-hmm. um, and that was a lot of fun, and I just needed to laugh. At the same time, I read a book called Tornado Brain, which is by Cat uh, Patrick, and uh, that's about a girl, middle grade book about a girl with ADHD, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a more serious story, but you know, I, I can see benefits to both. You know, I, I like things that are real. Even when I'm struggling, I like things that are real, but mm-hmm. I could used to laugh too. Yeah, it, it definitely took me. I'm, I'm okay now, but it certainly took me like a month to six weeks to like read anything that wasn't like a short story that made me laugh or like a graphic novel. I'm just like, I need, I had like a short attention span and I had to be very happy, but yeah, yeah. coming around now, I feel unfortunately this is our new normal, all of us sitting in our homes and just learning to appreciate it um are you i know school is just kind of starting back now but you know have you been in contact with schools about this book i guess i'm really i hope that schools will use this as a a teaching story but i'm interested if you've heard anything along those lines just yet yeah we're beginning to so the book has only been out for a couple weeks uh and because of covid that really means like that the hardcover came to me two weeks ago. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so there hasn't been much time, uh, but you know, I, schools are a big part of what we're trying to do. I mean, if this if COVID hadn't happened right now, the expectation would be that I'd be on a national tour stopping at schools in mm-hmm. every city. So you know, we really wanna get in there. And, and, and one of the things we wanna do is make sure when we do get in there uh, in whatever fashion uh, that we have uh, mental health support because mm-hmm. that's really important. Like we don't want to leave, leave kids here without, you know, resources, which we have at the end of the book, but yeah. you know. I was just going to say that there are resources at the end of the book for, for people who are looking for them. And I'll, I'll make sure that they're in the, the introduction to the podcast oh, as well, just so people can, can get those because it is so important. Um, so towards the end of our podcast this is going to be a hard left turn because it's normally most books we discuss aren't this this heavy yeah. but uh we always end our podcast with what we call the nerd nine which is just nine lighthearted questions okay um they used to be rapid fire but i get on too many tangents so they're not anymore <laughs> um so you may have just answered this but the the first one is what's the last book you finished reading or alternatively what are you reading right now uh last book was tornado brain cat patrick and right now i'm reading untamed by glennon doyle do you have a favorite place to read uh, yes, I have the coolest office. I'm sitting in it right now. I have this big chair that's comfy, and this is my place. I was just going to say, no one else could see this because you and I are on Zoom, but you, ha- you are sitting in a chair that looks so wildly comfortable. <laughs> I was assuming you would say that. Yes. Uh, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I loved reading as a kid. And, and that would probably be something by Judy Bloom. But the book that I really think of that made me want to be a writer was uh, Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. 
when you're allowed to travel again, what is some place you'd like to go to that you have not yet visited? Oh, I, I really want to uh, spend some time in the uh, Scandinavian region. I'm really excited to explore uh, Sweden and Norway. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, I like the Christmas season, but I'm Jewish, so I'll say the Christmas season. You know, holiday season. Yeah, I my father's side of our family is Jewish. My mom's side is Catholic. So we got we got just enough of the Jewish holidays to be like, oh, we would go to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But yeah, yeah it's exactly what he says as well. He's like, How, Christmas season is great. They have is whatever. Yeah. Um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> Emphatically. So that's the Emphatically, answer. Emphatically. Yes. My uh, my co-host has, I think, four cats now, and I have two dogs. So this is our, like, eternal battle here. So. Well, you win. I have two dogs as well, and I'm deathly allergic to cats. See? Perfect. To get the, yeah. We got the right answer here. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite food? Uh, raspberries. And then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? It's a good final question, and yeah. I can't get stumped on the last one. Um... Oh, uh, Tony Morrison. I'd, I'd love to have had a meal with Tony Morrison. So I get to say this, and the listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this. I am actually from the tiny city that she is from, Lorraine, Ohio. Lorraine. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It's like our one, our one claim to fame is oh. Tony Morrison. And we hold on, as you enter, it's like home of Tony Morrison and oh. nothing else. But that's, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think I've got, like, anytime someone mentions that, I, like, glow. Like, we were, like handed those books when we were in like sixth grade it's like here's oh. song of solomon way too early <laughs> wow i mean i read i read the bluest eye when i was young and that was a stretch so i can't even imagine the other ones oh yeah it was it was tough but it was like i said <laughs> we wore like a badge of pride um okay last question for you what do you hope readers take away from reading the bridge i, I think a, a feeling of hope that despite uh the challenges it's hard to be a human being it's hard to deal with mental health but that there's always a chance that tomorrow's better. That's absolutely perfect. Bill, this book is so important. I, I hope everyone goes out and reads it and goes and gets a copy or borrows it from the library, wherever they, they do their reading, just because I, it, like I said, it, it made me tear up a lot, but it made me extremely hopeful. So I guess I'll leave you with just, thank you for writing this. It's so important. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. And it's really nice to talk to you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. 
episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. 